Well, probably not for the last time, but I want you to not open your Bibles yet. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 in just a second, but it's quiz time, and I told you and prepared you last week that this is our last beatitude that we're going through, and my, my curiosity is if any of you are going to be able to recite the beatitudes, and if you are, there is a prize, and if there's not, I'll probably still give someone this prize because I bought these, and I want to give them away. And so, does anybody, could anybody be bold enough to say, let, let me try to see if I can't recite these eight beatitudes? Are there any, are there any takers on, on this? I believe there's got to be at least a couple of you. Anyone? Anyone? Okay. This is what we're going to do. We're going to see if I know it without looking. <laughs> um, I'm not going to read verses 1 and 2, but this is what I want you to do. Um, I'm going to say the first part of the Beatitude, and then see if you can't uh, call and response. Hmm, it's everywhere. Uh, see if you guys can't uh, have, have the explanation. I'll, I'll share the blessing, see if you guys can't do the, ble- uh, do the explanation. But blessed are those who are poor in spirit for... Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Very good. Second beatitude is, blessed are those who mourn, for they, they shall be comforted like a big hug. All right, number three, uh, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be they shall be satisfied. Number five, blessed are the, and I, I wasn't here for these, blessed are the merciful, for they shall they shall receive mercy. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, they shall see God. Last week we just saw, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And today, blessed are those who have been persecuted. Does anybody know the rest? It's, it's, it's the same one as the first one, for theirs is the, the kingdom of heaven. Okay, we did okay. Now, the, the prize, I kind of feel like I almost get to get it, um, <laughs> but the prize, in order to, to kind of keep with the theme, is uh, to be persecuted, I was either going to give you hot tamales, because some of you, you don't like the heat, and then for others of you, I found this uh, hot sauce, and it's called Smokin' Ghost. It's got uh, a little bit of everything, a red jalapeno, habanero, chipotle, ghost, vinegar, salt, and garlic. I know some of you want this. <laughs> uh, some of you want to try this. And so what we'll do is this will kind of be like a community thing for our potluck. And if any of you want to try a dab on a little bit of something, you can. These, these are mine because they've been sitting in my office for like a week, and I've just wanted to eat them. And no one volunteered except for me, so I win. Um, <laughs> but, but this will be a community reward for all of us. And you're like, I don't want that reward. Well, who wants to be persecuted? Oh, and so there you go. There's our reward uh, for us as a whole. And then Tiffany was like, well, what are you going to do about watermelons? And I was like, I don't know. I'm running out of ideas of this common theme. And so what I would offer to you is you want a good password for your new uh, computer device or smartphone? Watermelon. There's your watermelon tie-in, as lazy as that was. And so we are in Matthew chapter 5. We're finishing the Beatitudes today. We're going to just... Uh, go from this into the the rest of the Sermon on the Mount beginning next week. And so as we start kind of that new sermon series, I do encourage you to to be here next week, if at all possible, as we introduce the Sermon on the Mount um, and as we launch into that over the course of the fall. And it's it's an incredible, incredible study, and I, I hope that you'll be a part of it as much as you possibly can. And sometimes when we start something new, it's nice to be able to to, to kind of begin fresh. So some of you may have some friends or some coworkers that this would be a time to be like, hey, start with us here at the beginning and, and, and hear, hear where we start and, and stay with us throughout this journey. And so as we go into Matthew chapter 5, um, just as a reminder, this is when Christ is, uh, he's kind of at the, the climax of his ministry at this point. He's, uh, he's got this huge crowd that is gathered around him and he begins to, to teach as he sees the crowds coming his way. And as we just journey through the the Beatitudes, he comes to this last one in verse 10. And in verse 10, he he specifically says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verses 11 and 12 are an elaboration on that final Beatitude. Look at what it says in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we, we just sang that song, and for some of you, I could tell it was probably a little bit newer for you, but uh, is he worthy? And, my, and my, my question is basically asking that all throughout this, this sermon, is that, is, is he worthy? Is it worth it to, to follow him? Is it worth it that even if it's going to cost you something, to continue to be obedient to him, his word, his precepts, his teachings, that wherever he leads, I will follow regardless of what might come my way or what might be a, a, a hard outcome that could come my way. And so to me, it has this idea to do with kind of risk and reward. And we see it all throughout uh, just, just humanity, is that we see people who are willing to put in the work and realize there might be a risk, but the reward is greater. We saw just recently with the Olympics, there are those who are training these incredible athletes who for, for years have been refraining from eating certain things in order to have the reward of making it to the Olympics and then hopefully meddling at the Olympics. Whereas I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm eating a bowl of ice cream like, you guys are awesome, but I, I, I love the taste of this. I don't want to refrain from that. The reward is not worth the, the risk. Uh, some of you, you every day get into your automobile and you determine, whether you say this out loud or not, that the reward is worth the risk of getting into that steel cage and driving on I-24 with other animals and basically just trying to careening your way down the interstate at 80 miles per hour, hoping that someone's not more aggressive than you and takes you out in a moment's notice because the reward is I get to my job, I make money, it's worth the risk to put my life in danger every day on I-24. For others of you, it might be medical intervention. For you, you find that it's worth the risk when your doctor comes along and says, here's the possibility of a medication or a procedure or a surgery, but there are risks. Do you believe it's worth it for the hopeful outcome of the reward? For, for me, going on the DR trip, I knew the risk of being able to go onto that trip. I could possibly get COVID, and I got it. To me, it was still worth it, counting the cost and experiencing the, the reality and the outcome of that, it was worth it because it was still exactly what I believe the Lord had me to do, and I would, I would do it again. What we all do in those moments for, for every one of you is we count the cost. We try to evaluate, is it worth it to do this, to do that, whatever it may be? And Jesus himself even tells us in the Gospel of Luke that if you're going to follow me, you need to count the cost. You need to determine that when you stack everything that the world has to offer and with what I have to offer, is it worth it to follow me even in hardship and difficulty, even when it's not easy? And so the question that we have to answer today is, do we really believe that he is worth abandoning everything for that this world could possibly offer for us? doesn't mean we can't enjoy the things of the world, but if we have to sacrifice it, is it worth it? If we have to go through hard times, is he worth it? Do we believe him enough to follow him wherever he goes? Even when the crowds and the culture, and at times, even maybe when the church is going in a direction that we're like, that's counter to what he's saying. And if I go against that stream, I'm probably going to be called out for it. I'm probably going to go through some hardship or some difficulty as a result because I'm going against the, the stream. And so this morning, we're revisiting these words once again of Jesus in the Beatitudes. And what I would say is, as I was thinking about this idea of counting the cost, I, I wonder if you wouldn't agree with me that we can count the cost of, is it worth it to go through hardship and still stay uh, aligned with Jesus? And, and my hope is that all of us would, would come to a, a, just a clarity moment of, yes, that is true. But maybe on the other side, I was thinking about this week, what about counting the cost of not following Jesus, if you are indeed a follower of His? If you are in Christ, think about what it costs you when you are that hypocrite. You profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but by your lifestyle, you do not acknowledge Him as Lord of your life. Think about what that costs. It costs not just your reputation in your name, but, but I believe it costs our, our churches. I believe it costs our community. I believe it costs our, our relationships, our friendships, our, 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 our marriages. Our, our, for, for, so, I would say for the sake of our children and for the sake of our friends, for the sake of the church, for the sake of God and His name and His glory, let, let's rally together around these words of Christ to say, yes, you are worth following even when it is incredibly difficult. You are worthy. And so, blessed are the, those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Last several weeks, we've done kind of a blessing and explanation. Today, as a result of these other two verses, we're just going to kind of look at it together uh, as, as a whole. And when Jesus talks about these who have been, who have been persecuted, he, He's not talking about people who are just simply going through hard times. All of us go through hard times. He's talking about a specific example of, of hardship that, that doesn't have to do with just simply being a nice guy or a nice gal. It has to do with something far deeper than that. It has to do because of righteousness. Jesus is saying, if you live like this, you're going to live differently than the culture around you, and so there's going to be friction, there's going to be opposition towards you, and you're going to stand out. And, and don't you find it interesting, if you were with us last week, if you weren't, that's fine, but if, if you were with us last week, the, the beatitude were, was, blessed are the peacemakers. Some people don't like it when other people try to make peace. When we want to share with people, this is how you can be at peace with God. Some people have a, a difficult time of, of people coming into their midst and trying to actually uh, resolve the situation because when we bring about the idea of peace, um, what happens is sometimes persecution immediately follows. I, I don't find it coincidental that right off of blessed are the peacemakers are blessed are those who have been persecuted. I think they go hand in hand with one another. I've seen before, uh, you can pull up on YouTube some, some old clips of NBA games of where these giant men who are ready to fight and, 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 and throw fists at one another, and there's this one particular image of Stan Van Gundy showing up. He's this small, tiny little coach, and he's trying to separate these giant, like, six-foot-five to seven-foot men apart, and he's trying to keep the peace. He's trying to make things calm down, and he's the guy who gets cold-cocked. He's the guy who gets punched, and he's doing everything he can in order for there to be peace. But sometimes people get so enraged, and all they see is red, that they just disregard the peacemaker or they even go after the peacemaker. And I would say for us as followers of Christ, I, I would hope that our aim and our desire is that we want to present people with hope, everlasting life, redemption, forgiveness, peace. But sometimes when we shine that spotlight on what they need, they see what they're missing and it, it, it smarts, it hurts, it irritates them to a degree. And so when you do that, people might come after you because you're pointing things out that they don't like to see. And so, as we journey through this, I'm going to take us through uh, kind of just a study a little bit of, of persecution uh, through this passage. And so, from this passage, I think there are three realities of persecution. We're going to look at three realities of persecution. Number one, the first reality is that Jesus is assuming persecution is going to occur. Do you see that in verse 10? Blessed are those who have been persecuted. It's, it's an understood thing. Even the language that he's using there in the original language in the Greek, this isn't to get too into the weeds, but most of the other verbs that Jesus is using are what's called the present tense. This is a perfect tense. You go, why does that matter? Because he's using that specific verbiage in this specific beatitude to let us know that in the perfect tense, he's saying persecution has already occurred, it's going to continue to occur, and it's occurring today. It's ever pervasive. It's all around us. We can't get away from it. Believers in the world today are being persecuted. We've seen it explicitly this week in the images that we've seen. There's a publication that some of you may be familiar with called Voice of the Martyrs. It's actually based out of uh, uh, Oklahoma. Uh, it's a website. It's a magazine that you can get onto their list, and you can get reports of what is taking place within the persecuted church today there, there are some scholars that they've, they've basically kind of taken the data and they've said that, that more people have died for their faith in Jesus in the 20th century than all the first 19 centuries combined. But because of where we live and the blessings that we have, sometimes we don't see and come face to face with the hard truth of the persecuted church, of what our brothers and sisters are experiencing. And then we see it today and there's part of me that some of those images I saw of people in just absolute desperation, and I want to turn it off because it's incredibly uncomfortable to see. But perhaps the Lord is reminding us within the church, specifically His church, but the church in America and other parts of the world who don't experience this kind of persecution, to be reminded that we need to cry out for our brothers and our sisters in Christ, that we need to be reminded that for some, it, it, it is a difficult thing to follow Jesus, and yet they, tend, they seem to remain steadfast. Second reality is persecution is for Christ's sake, or specifically, he says, for the sake of righteousness there in verse in verse 10, 
What I, what I mean by this is that the reality is that, that what persecution is, is it has to do with where you continue to stand up for righteousness, live out righteousness in Jesus, in Christ. Sometimes what we'll say <laughs> is we'll say, I'm going through hardship and difficulty, and the reason why is because you've acted like a moron or an idiot. You've brought it upon yourself. And what you'll say is you'll say, oh, Lord, why are you letting Satan attack me? And then you don't stop going to that website or putting measures in to keep you from going down that same path of, of sin and devastation. Sometimes it's not on Satan, and it's not definitely on the Lord. It's on us as individuals of some of the difficulties that we go through. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about, you're following me, and you're choosing to do so for the sake of righteousness, then that means persecution specifically is going to come your way. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But here's the third reality of persecution. Your future reward will more than compensate for your present suffering. Your future reward will more than compensate for your present suffering. Can I just tell you, that sounds good, but sometimes that sounds hollow. Because what I'm experiencing is just overwhelming me. My mind, my heart, just my life is just, I, I, I can't see because of all of the hardship that is around me. But friend, this is what I'm urging you to do. And as we were even singing, it is well with my soul. And we got to that last verse of just the second coming of Christ. I was like, how often we just kind of neglect the hope that we have of the second coming of Christ. We get so caught up in the here and the now and the temporal that we forget about the eternal. So we lose perspective. We need to be, oh, we need to be reminded of this, that our reward is great, and it overshadows completely the suffering that we're going through, even when it doesn't feel like it. Not in the sense of persecution, but in the sense of hardship. I know some of you have gone through incredible hardship that hasn't been persecution, but it's still been hard. We might call it trials, or we might call it suffering. I, I, I've, I've had the same, and uh, there, there's a passage that we don't have time to deep dive into. It really kind of needs its own time but just jot this down in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. It's three beautiful verses that the Apostle Paul reminds us that he gives us this laundry list of all the hardships that he's been through, of all the difficulty that he's experienced because I chose to follow Christ. And he says, ah, I'm going to butcher it. He says in, in 2 Corinthians, therefore do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So he says, stop looking at the things that you can see and start looking at the things that you can't see. Stop looking at the temporary and start looking at the eternal. And we need to be reminded of that, especially right now. Maybe some of you, again, you would say it's not persecution, but you, the physical issues that I'm dealing with, the emotional issues that I'm dealing with, the relational or economic, whatever kind of issue that you're going through and it's suffocating you, I'm not in any way wanting to belittle it, but I'm wanting to lift you up out of it by saying, look to Christ and see that this is momentary in light, though it doesn't feel like it, because eternity is, is something we can't even fathom. And in comparison, when you're living in eternity, you'll look back and go, that was just a blip of a moment. It hurt and it was hard but it was worth it to remain steadfast to Jesus. So those are the three realities of persecution. Let's look at the two motives for persecution, the two motives. The first is, as we saw in verse 10, the first motive is because of righteousness, and the second motive is because of me. He says in verse 11, he says, they will falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You're going to be persecuted because of Jesus and righteous living and a desire for righteousness to be elevated and to be lifted up you're wanting to bring light into darkness. And the light is very offensive to people who are in the dark. Years ago, one of my favorite things to do, it's a little bit mean and a little bit just maniacal, but uh, I, I would take kids to camp at the church I was at before, or I would uh, work with kids at camp in college, and it was time to rise and shine, 6.30. And I didn't come by their beds and go, hey, little Tommy, you need to wake up. Oh, five more minutes. No, I would just flip the lights on, and they would all scream. And they're like, Mr. Steven, what are you doing? I'm like, it's time to wake up, boys. We're going to do a polar dip. We're going to get into that cold creek water. You're going to freeze to death. We're going to get some points for cabin challenge. It's going to be awesome. Wake up, guys. It's time to wake up. They wanted to throw things at me. 
They wanted to kick me. They, they did not care that they were in a moment that they were just encased in this darkness and it felt good. And when the light came on, it disrupted them. Sometimes when you come into someone's life and you are bringing light and you are living in light of Christ, it's going to, it's, it's going to offend, it's, it's going to disrupt, and it's going to disturb. And, and we shouldn't be surprised because even Jesus in the Gospel of John is, essentially says, hey, if they hate me, they're definitely going to hate you too. If you're going to follow me, then they're going to treat you like they treated me. So don't, don't be surprised about it. Um, what, what I would ask is, 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 is another question that you might jot down. Do people know where your allegiance lies? Do people know where your allegiance lies? And what I mean by that is this. If you're aligned with someone, then I believe you will take the hits for that person. You'll, you'll take the, the blows to the body or to the face. You'll, you'll do whatever it can because I am tethered and I am with this person, this individual, this entity. And I can't help but wonder if for your own self, how do I know that I know that I'm in Jesus? It's that I'm following him and even when the train of devastation comes my way, I take the hit because I'm going to stay steadfast to him. Again, that's the most common question I get. How do I know that I'm saved? When hardship comes, do you remain close to Jesus or do you drift from Jesus? Uh, some of you may have heard this story, but I know of a a father, uh, husband, father who was out with his wife and uh, his, his child, and they're out in this field having a picnic. This storm comes rushing in. I think this was in Fort Worth. And as you guys have seen here, I think it's just that much more kind of extreme in Oklahoma and Texas where it can go from a uh, bright, sunshiny day to just crazy, crazy uh, violent thunderstorms. And this hailstorm began to come through, and they couldn't make their way to cover. And the story goes is that this man couldn't get to cover, couldn't get to a tree, too big of an open field, and he just literally takes and grabs his wife and his child, covers them with his body, and the wife said, I could just hear these golf ball to, to softball-sized hell just hitting and thudding his body, and he's just taking those hits. Why? Because he loves them, and he's aligned to them. He's willing to go through it because you are mine. For the cause of Christ and for His glory and for the souls of men and women, are we willing to take the hits in order that, one, we know that we're with Him, because I'm not just going to take a hit for anybody, but two, because of, of, of what it's going to, to produce. But it, it does cost you. If, if, if you've never been hit, it hurts. It costs you. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reality of that, of that uh, outcome. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Now, three expressions of persecution. You might say, well, what do you mean by persecution? We're going to go a little bit, drill down a little bit here. There are three expressions of persecution that he mentions, Jesus does, in verse 11. Look at, look at what it says. It says, blessed are you when people, number one, insult you, uh, number two, persecute you, and number three, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. So insult, persecute, and speak falsely. Let's look at the insult. The insult is just simply what, what you would think of. <laughs> it's, it's being mocked. It's being verbally shamed. It's, it's again... I'm associating with Jesus, so as a result, you're coming after me with your, with your words. Uh, to, to give an example, and um, she, she likes, she prefers it when I give these examples when she's not here, so this is great. Um, so when we first moved to Tennessee in 2015, our specific intent for Tiffany and me was to come and get jobs in the regular workforce and not in the church because we wanted to be around people who weren't in the church bubble. We wanted to be around people who we were like, they're just regular people out there in the workforce, and for us to try to be light and salt in, in a work environment. And so I can remember, sounds noble, but it was so incredibly difficult because it was so different from just being immersed in church work for the last eight to 10 years. And I can remember Tiffany was able to get a position at a doctor's office in, in uh, Spring Hill, super excited. This is what we've been working towards. One, we're going to bring in some income. Two, thank you, Lord, for this job. Three, it's a chance to be salt and light in this workplace. I'm going to encourage these people. I'm going to become fast friends with these people. I'm going to build relationships with these people. I'm going to tell them the gospel of Jesus. And as she got in there, the culture of that office was one that had a lot to do with politics and gossip and criticizing, and Tiffany wouldn't contribute. And at no point at any time did she ever go, you guys need to stop doing that. 
do you realize in kind of a laundry list of things, she just chose not to participate in those discussions. She would physically remove herself when a patient or a fellow coworker was being misrepresented or whatever it may be. And as a result, that offended them. And as a result, she began to be mocked and ridiculed and insulted to the point to where she would show up early to work to make sure that she could have time with the Lord. She would sit in her car, read her Bible on her own time, then come in and get checked in. And one of them said, what are you doing out there for 20 minutes? Why don't you just come in? She's like, well, I'm reading my Bible. They would not let that go. They thought that was the stupidest thing that they had ever heard. She, she had no intention of going there and just riling things up, but she was counter to that culture. And so she received insults and she received verbal shaming because she's saying, I'm with Christ and I'm not going to go into a culture that I don't agree with. Some of you may have experienced something similar. So that's one expression, the insult. The second is persecution. It says specifically in verse 11, people who insult you and persecute you. Persecution is, is if you just want to boil down what that word is, it's, it's all forms of harassment. It's this idea of literally chasing somebody down or chasing them from town to town for the purpose of imprisoning them or pointing them out to the authorities or even putting them to death. Some of you know of the Apostle Paul. He is a prime example before he became a follower of Christ who was a persecutor of the church, literally chasing people down in order to stop that movement of Christ followers. The third expression of persecution is speaking falsely. It says specifically in verse 11, they will say all kinds of evil against you. And the problem with this is there's a lot of what the world says about Christians today, I will say at least in, in our context, that uh, I don't, sometimes I wonder if it's not false, if, but if it's, if it's true. But because what they see is they see or hear of a preacher who is uh, embezzling money or funds from the life of the church, or, or that person in leadership who is cheating on his spouse, or churches that I've even seen over the years of where they're trying to bring people in, and they'll put like dollar signs like on their marquees and different things, and it's just like, how, how is that even possibly representing the gospel of Christ? And the world sees that, and it confuses them, and so they, they, they respond and speak against that. Some of you may know who this man is. His name is Brennan Manning. He's actually a Catholic priest, uh, but he's one of the most evangelical Catholic priests I've ever, ever heard of and ever read from. And he has this statement that some of you may have heard. It's, it's decades, decades old now. He says, what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable is this. Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but they walk, out the door, they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what, an un, that's what an unbelieving world simply just finds unbelievable. If Christ is who you align yourself with, your allegiance is with him, why do you look so different from what I hear about or think of what a Christ follower should look like? In the first century, the Christians of the first century were charged with all kinds of false accusations. Some of these you may know, some of you may not, but they were told, they were, it was spread about them that they were cannibals. The people in the world, they believed that the early church was a bunch of cannibals, that these were individuals, they were, I don't know, getting their daily Twitter feed back in that day and time or whatever it is that they were reading, and people were just talking about, yeah, I can't believe those Christians, they, they go to these meals and they eat the body and the blood of this guy named Jesus, like it's just really weird, and so there began to be these false lies that were spread out. The other lie was that they were incestuous, that they would call each other brother and sister, in Christ, and then these brothers and sisters, some of them would get married, and they're like, what is wrong with these people? They're incestuous as well. So not only do they eat people, they're also, they're, they're also incestuous, and then others would even give the false claim that, of all things, that Christians were atheists, that Christians were, were atheists because in that day and time, they would not bow to the plurality of gods within the Roman Empire, specifically de 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 declaring that Caesar is Lord. And they said, Ah, oh, there's not just the one, there's a plurality of gods. And so all of these false accusations were thrown at the feet of the church. And yet through that, and even through the intense persecution at the Colosseum and beyond, you see the church even thrive as a result. We have false accusations that we even experience today. We have people that I've heard people say within our own country that we, we hate people. We hate sinners. We hate people that have a different lifestyle or sexual ethic. 
And what I read in Scripture is that I may disagree with certain things that you believe is a preference or an opinion of yours, but it does not mean that I hate you. It means that I recognize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including you and including me, and what you need is Christ in order to be redeemed. That's what you need. I don't hate. I want to show you and point you to Christ and to the truth of what He has to say. Some people say, oh, we, just, we, we actually want some people to go to hell. Absolutely not. I can't even fathom someone wanting to, to have that, but that's an accusation that I've heard. I've heard the accusation of, I don't want to be involved with the things of the church because churches just fight and they split. The accusation of the church and the people of God only care about money. There was a point in time, I, don't, I haven't heard them in a while, but in the news years ago, there was a church that essentially would go to funerals and protest military funerals, and it was this look on the church, national news, that the church hates the military. It was just like, you're killing us, church. Like, what are you doing? Like, absolutely not. Or that we're just a bunch of people that just sit on our hands, we have no fun, and if we're not careful, some of these lies and these false accusations we can help perpetuate if we don't come back again and again to what does Christ have to say and what is the truth of the matter so that we go out into the world and we do. We are peacemakers and willing to go through hardship if it will point people to God and see souls redeemed. Now, final thing is there's two responses that we have to persecution, and they're found in verse 12. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Be glad and rejoice. One of the things that irritates me to no end is when I'm going through hardship and someone says, just trust the Lord and be glad and rejoice. I'm like, you shut your mouth. You don't know what I'm going through. Like, you have no idea. You, you can't even possibly fathom. And here's Jesus saying, man, if you go through this for my name's sake and for the sake of righteousness, man, rejoice and be glad. And I just want to ask two questions. How and why? <laughs> because that doesn't make sense. He's saying, and I want you to be overjoyed, joy overflowing. You're, and, and I believe these are the two reasons why. He's coming back again and again to this. He's saying, the reason why you can rejoice and be glad, even through persecution, is remember your reward. Remember your reward and remember that you're not alone. Sometimes when I'm going through incredible difficulty, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through hardship and the world closes in around me and I'm suffocating through what it is that I'm experiencing, I feel like I'm the only person going through anything right now. I become very self-involved in that moment. I feel alone and isolated. And Jesus is reminding us, uh -uh, you have a great reward. Remember that reward. Have that eternal perspective. But man, remember that you are not alone. He says in verse 12, he says, your reward in heaven is great. And then he says, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. People have been persecuted for the cause of God and His glory long before you, and they will continue to be persecuted for His glory long after you. You're not alone in the trials and hardships that you are, are experiencing, even if you feel that way. In Hebrews chapter 12, you come out of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, these men and women who are living for Jesus and living out their faith. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of, of witnesses, it's that reminder again that, that we're not alone, that there are going to be those that are going to be lockstep with us, willing to also take the hits. Just this week, I was reading uh, in my own time out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's this wonderful passage about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and how that gives us hope and the Corinthian church is going through incredible difficulty if you read through that letter. And at the very end, the last thing that Paul wants the church of Corinth to be reminded of as he wraps up chapter 15 is he's using every word at his disposal to say, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but Jesus is alive, Jesus is resurrected. That means he is powerful, that means he is capable and able to save you from your sin, to give you eternal life. And so he says, be steadfast, be immovable abound in good works. Know that what you believe is not going to be in vain. Like, like cling to these things. My hope is that that's what you'd be able to do as well. Last thing I want to mention to you is uh, at the end of uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's life, he, he's writing his last letter. Uh, his last letter that he wrote was 2 Timothy. He's in prison. He's about to be martyred for the, for the faith. And he wants to tell Timothy there at the very end, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. That's some truth, but that's some hard truth. A couple more questions I want to ask you is, has there ever been a time that somebody has come after you 
because you follow Jesus? When's the last time you prayed in faith, stepped out in faith, and it maybe rustled a few feathers? We're not to be contentious or pugnacious. No, that's not who we are. But because of whose we are, we will rustle feathers, and we will cause disruption because of the fact that we are counterculture, that we're offering something that maybe just doesn't quite uh, fit for them in their worldview. For us, we're, we're not going to change the culture just by simply swimming along in its stream. The way that we're going to change the culture and the community that is around us is when we go against the stream. Last story. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I would work with these kids at this camp is we would go on a river hike. If you've never been on a river hike, they're fantastic. And you take these little boys and maybe third or fourth grade boys and we begin to hike down the stream and the current is going along with us and we're making our way down, we're slipping a little bit, we're having a good time. And then I'll tell them, guys, it's time for us to go back. And so I'll, we're going to turn around and some parts of the river are pretty, pretty rough and pretty strong, and they would begin to make their way out of the river and onto the banks, and they would begin to kind of walk on the banks. And I said, oh, that's no fun. Get back in the river, and we're going to go upstream, and we're going to fight against the current. And what I would let them do is because it was just a, it was a teaching tool. Uh, I, I used to be like a ropes instructor, so we're always teaching people about things. And it was a teaching tool of I just let them struggle on their own these little third or fourth grade boys just trying to walk up the stream, and they're slipping and they're falling. Some of them beginning to whine. Some of them beginning to cry. Some of them maybe hurt their knee a little bit, kind of bruised, and they're just walking, and I'm just like, guys, guys, this is what I want you to try now. You've tried it on your own. I want you to link up with those that are around you and see if you can't stay a little bit more stabilized than you did before. See if you can't keep your feet a little bit more on, 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 on the ground. And they literally began to lock arms with one another, and they began to go up the stream and it was still some work, and they were still slipping, but instead of slipping and falling and hitting their knees, they're being caught and held up by the person that's holding their arms. The church is so vitally important. We don't just show up in order to be like, ah, this is what we do. <laughs> we need one another in community. We, we, we need that if we're going to change and, and impact the culture that we live in, and the setting that we're in, even here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, that if, if, if we want to make a difference, we got to go against that stream, again, not to be contentious, but we got to go against that stream, pointing them to something that is far greater than what they're drifting down towards, which is just sin, death, and despair. We want to point them upstream to the one who offers life and is the source of life and the wellspring of life. And as we do so, we're, if we're locking arms with one another, then we're going to be able to, I think, get through that a little bit easier. But there needs to be a willingness as, for us as individuals that even if no one will lock arms with me, I'm going. And I, oh, I pray that you would come with me, but I'm going because he's worth it. I've counted the cost, and he is worthy. I've counted the cost, and I realize my reward will far outweigh any hardship that I'm going through. I've counted the cost, and I realize that I look around me, and I'm not alone, so I'm going to go forward. So wherever he leads, I'm going to go. And so as we launch out of the Beatitudes and into the Sermon on the Mount and into the fall of 2021, my question is, will you link arms with one another and realize that even with a church of our size, if we would link arms and have the same mind and the same faith and the same passion and the same pursuit, we could cause an incredible impact within our community here and within our community now. So I want us to pray to that end. So if you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want you specifically to play right now, pray right now. Would you be willing to say, God, my security, my plans, my dreams, my family, all of it is yours. I'm willing to abandon in order to follow you. hope and prayer is that you can pray that sincerely. And what I'm about to take us through is in no way to 
in any way to, to shame any one of us of like, I'm struggling with praying that prayer because frankly, pastor, my, my life is really hard right now. But I'm hoping that you would have the mindset and determination right now to say, in the right frame of mind, this is my prayer. You are worthy. And I'll take the hits. And I'll follow you regardless because my reward is great. And you are great. And I'm not alone. Because what we're about to pray through and what I'm about to take you through, again, we were reminded this week that we are incredibly blessed but we have no idea how long the blessing of God and the favor of God will be here. I don't do that to in any way sensationalize because I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. But we've seen in a matter of hours people go from being fairly persecuted still to outright, blatantly being persecuted in Afghanistan. Like, like there's, there's no covering that up. Hours of a woman being able to walk down the street with her child to now having to put an X on their door so that enemy forces can come and take your child and sell them off to be trafficked. Hours. So we're going to pray for the persecuted church and a few other things. And if, if you're able and if you're willing, I, I, we, we did this in the DR and it was just something to where it doesn't make you any holier. <laughs> but for those who could, we got on our face, we got on our knees. If you're able, feel free. I would invite you to do that. Just take some time to just pray. I'm going to lead you in some directed prayer. And this is how we're going to finish today because as that news began to unfold this week, I was like, my heart broke, and all I could think is we're about to read about the persecution in Matthew 5, and we're seeing it on our screens. And so I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to go just through, few, through a few. If you don't know, um, our church is a Southern Baptist church, and we have an entity called the International Mission Board, which is about um, sending missionaries overseas. And the president of that uh, entity. His name is Paul Chitwood. This is just what he tweeted out, and this is kind of how we're going to pray. He said, thousands of Afghans are displaced. There's food shortages and looting. Homes and offices are being searched and seized. Many are trying to flee the country with no success. Pray God will move in the midst of chaos and fear, and those without hope will come to know Jesus. Pray for the courage of the Afghan believer. And so for the first thing that I want us to pray about is would you pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan to convert from, from, to Christianity from Islam means death. And so pray for courage and pray for peace for our brothers and sisters in Christ right now. Would you also pray for those missionaries who are on the field in Afghanistan? They'll also be facing the penalty of death. They chose to live out and fulfill the Great Commission by going to the ends of the earth. And as events continue to unfold, just pray for them. Would you also pray for our military personnel? As, as you guys know, um, not everyone has been evacuated. 
And I ask that you would pray not just for the military personnel that are continuing to hold the line in Afghanistan, but for a lot of military personnel in our country right now who are watching this and have been deployed many times into that area. Uh, I know of countless stories of some who are going through incredible depression right now from what they see and what they gave their life and time and energy toward. I ask that you pray for, for them, that depression wouldn't take over, but that God and family members would lift them up. that you pray for the world leaders that have the ability to do things, to bring relief, that they would be bold and courageous to do so, that they would concentrate their efforts and energies toward making sure that as many people can be taken care of as possible to preserve life. pray for the people of Afghanistan. Even once, as it appears, all evacuations have taken place, the people of Afghanistan will most likely remain or flee as refugees, and there's going to be a lot of neighboring countries that are going to be overwhelmed with that. I pray that you pray for them, especially for the vulnerable groups, such as the women and children. I pray that God would would intervene. This next one that I'm going to ask you to pray for may be difficult. And you may wrestle through it, but I would ask that you would pray. Jesus later in Matthew chapter 5 says, pray for those who are your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I'm asking, as difficult as it may be, to pray for the Taliban. Nothing is going to change that culture and those people other than Christ. Pray that Christ would intervene into their lives, that they would hear the gospel and their hearts would be softened. Christ is the only answer that I know in that kind of situation. Just two more. Would you pray though we are focused on Afghanistan, it has made my mind think of other parts of the world. Would you pray for just the persecuted church around the world in general? There are those who are not just in Afghanistan going through this, but all over our globe, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to take the hits and even lose their life. Pray for them. last one, would you pray that the gospel of Jesus would just permeate in these situations that God could be that God could take something like this and he could turn it into uh, an opportunity for people to hear the gospel and to respond in faith in Christ pray that the gospel will get out and as we've done before, I'm going to voice our closing prayer. You can eavesdrop if you want, but by all means, continue to pray there where you're at. Heavenly Father, uh, 
frankly, I'm, I'm quite overwhelmed with what we've seen and heard this week and even just specifically pointedly praying together with my brothers and sisters in this room for issues going on so many miles away. And Father, the only, the only thing I keep coming back to is um, the hope of Jesus. And I, I just pray that he would be so present and so evident in the lives of our brothers and sisters in different pockets of this world who are going through such incredible heartache and, and sorrow, Lord, and suffering. Pray that they will remain steadfast and that they will abound, that they will stand firm in what they know to be true. Pray that they would boldly and courageously represent you. And Father, the, again, the only answer to all of this that I see is you. And I'm just reminded of, as we read through the New Testament, so many of the letters that we read are trying to give hope and encouragement, an eternal perspective, because in that New Testament church, they were going through such difficulty. And yet out of that, Lord, you've brought a lineage of faith that's even connected to us today that those at the beginning remain faithful, passed on the gospel so that we would hear the gospel and we would be gathered here now because of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would not lose heart, that we would not lose hope, that we would not allow fear to overcome, but, Father, that we would allow hope and life and eternity in Jesus to be the thing that we would focus on and major on. But in the midst of it all, Lord, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the, the current reality of some of the suffering that's going on. So I pray for relief and I pray for safety and evacuation, for Father, for these. Lord, we do trust you. We do love you. We're asking that you would be ever-present in our brothers' and sisters' time of need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.